So we are two sermons in on a sermon series on love. It is the summer of love around here at Blue Water Mission. And um, two sermons in and we have not yet mentioned romance. What's the deal with that? I mean, you know, isn't, isn't love, all love, romantic love? I, I don't know, so... So, you know, we decided to address that. We, we built in a sermon series on romance um, and a very interesting uh, preaching uh, couple we have today. Well, uh, set up is that uh, Steve and Larissa will be preaching together. And uh, we know that there can be no more romantic thing than sermon preparation. So I'm sure there was... Not only a lot of study about romance um, this past week, there was probably a lot of romance. Because there's nothing like... Uh, that, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> but uh, no, th uh, thank you guys. Um, it's a very uh, interesting topic. Um, and what a blessing we have for... Uh, a married couple to preach together. Um, and I know it's one thing to prepare a sermon by yourself, um, but it's another thing to prepare a sermon uh, with two people. Um, and uh, somebody told me, if you want to go, if you wanna go um, somewhere quickly, uh, go by yourself. If you want to go, uh, go farther, uh, go with uh, people. Um, so I imagine it wasn't a quick process, uh, but we trust that uh, by hearing this sermon, uh, we will have gone further. So thank you, guys. <laughs> Thanks, TJ. Um, uh, no comment about how we prepared this week to your... <laughs> um, no, it, it's great to be here. Uh, with you, Blue Water. Uh, my name is Steve. This is Larissa. We'll be um, speaking together. Hi. I thought there would be no better way to start a sermon on romance and marriage uh, than to tell the story 11 years ago when I proposed to Larissa. Can I do that? Can I tell you that story? It's a good one. So 11 years ago, um, uh, Larissa and I had been dating for two years at that point. We had met at USC. We were both on staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship together. Uh, so, you know, our, our friendship had grown, our relationship had grown, and in my mind, it was time. Like, it was time. Now, also, we had talked about it and decided together it was time, so it wasn't just my idea, but it was time for me to pop the question. And so, so I'm, you know, I'm getting prepared, I'm getting ready, I'm thinking about, like, where should I do it? I've heard stories of different people who have proposed before. I'm thinking, I have to do this right? Like, it can't be sort of a generic proposal. This needs to be a proposal that can be in a story at some point. So I'm thinking, what would be a really great place to propose? And I, and I think back, and I'm like, oh, you know, our very first, the very first time I asked Larissa out was, it was at a beach in Malibu. And so... Let's go back to that same beach, except a nearby beach that's even better. So I, I go over to that beach one day, and I'm kind of scoping out the scene just to make sure everything's good. You know, I, uh, you have to kind of get to the top. You, you hike down this cliff, down to this beautiful beach, 
and I'm, and I'm kind of just making sure, like, it's, it's beautiful. And I get down there, and it's even more beautiful than I imagined, right? And so I, I'm loving it. Um, I do some research because I don't want to just go to this beach at any point. I want to go, like, right when the sun is setting, right, like at the kind of the most romantic time. And so I, I do my research in the almanac, and I figure out to the minute when the sun will be setting, Right? And then I go to Google and figure out, like, how long is the driving distance from here to there? And when do we need to leave so that we can time it so that I can propose right as the sun was? I had this all figured out. You guys, it was perfect. So I let Larissa know, like, hey, we're going to go on a two-year anniversary date. It's going to be a special date. It's our two-year dating anniversary. And so she thinks, cool, special date. Um, we get to the place. I tell her, like, hey, I'm taking you back to the place that we first had our date getting all excited, like, this is awesome. Um, we start walking towards the, the place where we sort of hike down, and I'm feeling around in my pocket, like, every minute to make sure the ring is still there, and it is. And I've got the little poem that I've got written. It's in my front pocket, right? <clears throat> and we, uh, we start to hike down the trail, and I'm thinking, this is so great. Like, I can see the sun, like, right there. Um, and as we start to get down further onto the beach, you know, with this person that I'm about to invite to be my wife, um, I start to notice, like, well, there's, there's more people on this beach now than when I, uh, when I first scoped it out. I'm thinking, like, oh, it's, it's sunset. I guess that makes sense. We're kind of coming down now at a more popular time. We start to, you know, walk further down the path, and we're starting to walk along the beach to the spot, the exact spot I've sort of picked out. And as we're walking across the beach, I start to notice, like, oh, they, there's, like, some photo shoot or something that's set up right there on the beach. They've got one of those, like, light shields, and someone's taking pictures, and I'm, like, they're, like, kind of wearing these really skimpy bikinis, and I'm thinking, sorry about that. <laughs> that wasn't in the plan. Um, and as we get closer, I start to realize, those aren't skimpy bikinis. Those are no bikinis. <laughs> and I'm like, hide your eyes, hide your eyes, hide your eyes. Wasn't anticipating the porn shoot happening on the beach where I was going to propose, is what I'm saying right now. So we quickly hustle past that. We're sort of looking in the, don't look this way, look towards the sunset. This is sort of weird over here. Let's look towards the sunset. And so there, I, you know, we sit down, I pull out the poem, I read the poem. As the poem goes, I can start to tell Larissa is knowing maybe what's about to happen. Her eyes start to well up. And at the end, I ask her, I pull out the ring. I think I probably fumbled it a little bit. Will you marry me? And she looks at me, and she said, yes. <laughs> it was awesome. Um, man, it was such a day of, like, crazy highs and lows for me, like, all this anticipation and, like, the buildup, and then, like, oh, my gosh, it's, like, turning into this failure, right? I, there's something about romance. There's something about relationships, I think, that sends us, sends our emotions into these wild extremes. You know what I mean? Like, it can be, like, the highest of highs, and then it can just, we can get kind of slammed right into, like, kind of the lowest of low. For whatever reason, relationships bring out the best and the worst, the full gamut of emotion for us. Um, it's a roller coaster, right? And so that's why this morning I'm excited that we together get to share some about romance um, 
specifically about marriage uh, and what does that mean for us as a church body to consider those things uh, together. So, are you excited? Are you ready to go? All right. Um, yeah, like Steve said, that we're going to be speaking on relationships and marriage today. And we figured how better to do that than as a married couple. So um, that's why we're both here, up here, sharing a bit of our own story, um, a bit of what we feel like God has done uh, in our journey, in our relationship, and in our marriage. And fun fact, uh, this coming Friday is actually our 10-year anniversary. So we're going to hit 10 years. Thank you. Um, so for us, even as we were preparing this, it felt really special and significant to have this opportunity to partner together and speak together. Um, and earlier this week, in fact, we were sitting on our couch and we were talking about this sermon and we were just asking each other, how did we get here? How did we get to 10 years? Um, how did we get to 10 years without hating each other? without getting totally bored of each other. So it feels significant, right, to reach a 10-year milestone. Um, and for part of us, I mean, as we talked, we realized like so much of our marriage has been um, an incredible journey. And for us to be here, um, it really was a good reflection for us to look back and think about what has God done? What have we seen? What have we experienced for us to have this gift of being married together? Um, and as we talked, we actually, uh, landed on kind of like our top three uh, takeaways from our marriage. So as we looked back over 10 years, we're thinking, okay, what did, like, what did it really take for us to get here? What have we seen get built up in our marriage? Um, and so we found three takeaways that we're going to share with you in a little bit. Um, and as we thought about these different uh, takeaways, we realized that they are principles found in Genesis 2. Um, so in Genesis 2, the story of Adam and Eve, which we'll get to in a moment, um, we paused in our conversation and we took a look at Genesis 2. What does it say? Uh, what is God doing in this passage? And we realized that um, our lessons from our marriage aren't just from our own experience, but really um, they're found in how God designed us to be in relationship. And it was actually part of God's great design for all of us as we're in relationship with other people, not just marriage, but relationships in general. Um, and we can find that in Genesis 2. So that's what we're going to look at today. Um, and just to give some cultural context, so uh, right, dating, the way we understand dating is not found in the Bible. And I think that's why so many people are, have questions, like what does dating really mean? If we're to date um, while following Jesus, while being obedient to God, what does that even look like? Um, so the bad news on some level is it's not found in scripture. And the reason for that is relationships were totally different back in the day, right? Um, in that culture, people were married as teenagers. So basically people were married when they were like in junior high. Um, marriage wasn't really this thing that was based out of love and passion. Now, not to say that love and passion weren't part of relationships, but it wasn't, that wasn't the primary reason why people got married. Um, so it can be a challenge for us if we're thinking, okay, let's go to the Bible to look for the exact answers or like a manual on how to date. We're just not going to find it. 
Um, but what we can do, which is the good news, is we can take principles from scripture, from the Bible, and we can apply them to today's culture, um, to today's cultural realities. Because I believe the, the Bible actually has lots to say about relationships. It has a lot to say about how good God designed us to be relational people. Um, so this morning, uh, we're going to look at a text that really is the most primal of all relationship texts. We're going to look at the story of Adam and Eve. Um, and the reason why we're looking at this, the reason why it could be so important to us to give a foundation, because really, um, it shows us the nature of humanity as God designed it, um, as it was intended in the beginning before the fall, before sin came in. Right? And so, really, this picture in Genesis that we'll see is, can function as some form of blueprints as we think about relationships, um, as we think about what a relationship's supposed to look like. Um, so you might call this the relationship text, and that's what we're going to look at today. You ready? All right, Genesis 2, and this is 4 through 8 and 15 through 25. I'm going to be reading um, most of it, but I'm going to be skipping a little bit. So... You can read it in your bulletin. It'll be up here. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with the flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. <clears throat> All right. Um, so what, what we're going to look at this morning is, uh, what does this passage, Adam and Eve, which I love, what does it tell us about humanity, <clears throat> the nature of humanity, and relationships? Uh, like Larissa said, this is the primal text. This is pre-fall. This is the blue, how it was supposed to be from the beginning, right? And so as God is bringing restoration to us um, through Jesus, through the power of his Holy Spirit, this is sort of what we're being restored into, right? We're being restored back into Eden. Um, so the first thing I want to, uh, first implication is in verse 7, right? Verse 7 says, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Um, that word man right there, the, <clears throat> the Lord God formed a man, that word man is the Hebrew word Adam, A-D-A-M, Adam. Um, uh, but that word Adam, we usually think it means like man, like male, uh, but it doesn't. Right? That word Adam actually means mankind or humankind. 
Uh, it's the same word that gets used elsewhere in Genesis to mean God created humanity and he created them male and female. Um, and so when it says God created man, I think we just need to know that's a, a gender-neutral person. Gender hasn't even happened yet in the story, right? So it says that God created this person from the dust and breathed into his nostrils the breath. It's interesting. What Genesis is telling us is that we as humans are composed of two things. We're composed of dirt and we're composed of the breath of God. Dirt and breath of God. Um, so from the beginning, we were a mixed bag. A mixed bag of like the craziest sort, right? Uh, if any of you felt like, man, there's some stuff that's, that's messed up about me. I, that's true because you're made from dirt. Right? There's some stuff that's pretty great about me. I connect with people. Yeah, it's because you're made of also the breath of God. Right? That's true about who we are. Um, it's also true that um, it shows us that the primary relationship we have from the very beginning was with God. God's breath literally is what animates us. It's what gives us life. Um, it's the thing that without it, we aren't who we are. And so if we don't have relationship with that God... Um, we're not fully human, right? And that forms the foundation for every other relationship in our life. If that's not happening, if there's not a vital connection with the breath of God, with, with God in our lives, then every other relationship is going to be trying to get something like the breath of God from somebody else, and you will never find it, right? right we have to have a vital connection to God um, in order to have any kind of healthy relationship anywhere else. So that's first. Second thing that we see, down in verse 18, it says this. Um, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man, for the human, to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Uh, so it's saying that we were, we were created with this deep need for relationship with other people. Right? In fact, you, you might say in Genesis, this is the very first problem that humanity faces. The first problem we face is aloneness, loneliness. Loneliness is our most primal problem. So if you've ever felt like the sting of loneliness, and everybody has, right, or its cousin, rejection, right, and you feel kind of how much that cuts against uh, our, your own sense of being, Right? It's just one of the worst feelings, right? Loneliness, uh, rejection. Um, it's because that's the deepest thing that's in us that's, that's a, a, a problem, right? Um, and God steps in and offers us, if that's the first problem, the first gift that God ever gives humanity is other people. I think that's hugely important. The first gift that God gave you is other people. It's the people around you. It's the people in your life. It's the people seated next to you right now. They are a gift to us and to you. So when you're enjoying a meal with friends or when you're laughing with somebody, uh, just know that the other people in your life are actually not just other people, but they are God's gift, God's generosity to you. Right? Receive that gift from God. So our primary relationship with God, our first problem is loneliness, and God shows up with the gift of people. And then there's one more thing. Yeah, so third, um, relationships, the relationships that God does give us, 
involve helping each other and enjoying each other. Helping each other and enjoying each other. So the word for helper in uh, Hebrew is ezer, E-Z-E-R. And that means to surround, protect, and to aid. That's what it means to be a helper. And that's what God gave to this human being in his problem of being lonely. He gave him a helper. And so these two humans, right, they're formed out of the one original person um, to be each other's helper. That's the purpose of God creating um, both of the people together. Um, and I, I love this image because it means that uh, together as helpers, they are strong when one alone is totally weak, right? And I think we've seen that in our own lives. We can be totally weak, and yet when we have a helper, when we have community, relationship with people in our lives, we're actually made really strong. Um, these people are meant to look after each other and protect each other. Um, but there's something else in here too, right? So they're helping each other. I love that. But there's something else. When the man sees the woman uh, walking up, the text shifts into, from prose into poetry. I don't know if you guys noticed this. It shifts into poetry. And he says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, um, for she was taken out of man. Um, at this point, for this human being, uh, just words won't really cut it. So his emotions, his joy, his celebration, uh, his gratitude, his wonder, it causes him to burst out into poetry, into song, essentially, right? And that is able to, this poetry is able to fully express his amazement at what a good God, what a good gift God just gave him. Um, right? His joy jumps out of the text right here in this passage. Um, and so from the beginning, we see from this point that we are created to enjoy each other. We're not just created to like functionally help each other. We're created to enjoy each other, to celebrate each other. Um, uh, and this is what makes friendships, I love this because it, it makes friendships so much more than a function or something productive. Um, it makes it about uh, a deep sense of connectedness, right? I help you, but I also like you. I like you, you're my friend. And so th those are the three main points that we see in this passage. First, relationship with, with God is primary. We are God's beloved. Second, God meets us in our loneliness and provides community as a gift. And third, central parts of deep relationship are partnership and friendship. Awesome. So uh, we're going we're gonna to pivot now. Um, all of these things that we said um, are not about marriage specifically. This is about who we are as people and how we're wired for relationships. Um, all of these things are, are things that God gives us, um, not exclusively in, in marriage, but in community, right, uh, with each other. So we're going to talk some now about specifically about marriage. But before I do, I want to give a little caveat. Um, this is one of my, actually, a, a fear that I had coming in speaking about marriage uh, is um, sometimes when marriage gets talked about or mentioned, um, particularly, I think, in church contexts, um, it gets talked about in a way, well, let me explain. Uh, marriage is one of many ways God gives us the gift of community and relationship. It's one of many ways, right? 
Um, but oftentimes I think in society and in the church, there's this sense that like marriage is the best way that happens. And maybe there's other ways too. You guys know what I mean? Something along the lines of it might sound like, like yeah, being single is okay, but being married is better. I, um, uh, a year or so back, I was in a group of some mostly young married uh, folks, um, and, uh, and an, an older person that was there um, was kind of, you know, looking and talking, whatever, and then walked up to the one single woman in the room, young woman, and goes, it's okay, it'll be your turn soon. Totally well-meaning, right? Totally, like, from her heart, fully believed that, like, at some point, you'll get to be married, too. You guys feel that, what happens when something like that gets said? Have you ever heard something like that happen or get said? I think it happens kind of a lot. Um, underneath that kind of thing is a really ugly lie. It's an ugly lie that can undermine so much of community in the church and undermine people. Um, And the lie is this, that somehow the main way that God is good is if you're married, right? That that's the main way God is good. Um, And that that everything else besides marriage is sort of like, that's passable, or that's okay, or maybe at some point it'll be your turn, right? Um, at the root of that, at the root of that is actually idolatry. It's, it's, idolatry, it's an idolatry of marriage. Um, any gift that God gives us, we know this, any gift that God gives us is good until, until we somehow feel like we need to get it for ourselves. Until all of a sudden we take the gift and make it more important than the giver. Right? And I think this happens a lot with marriage. Right? We take this gift that God gives to some and say, I have to have that. Right? Or... You should, you really should have that, right? If you're not married, somehow you're incomplete. Um, Jesus and Paul were both unmarried people. And both of them spoke about the goodness of being unmarried. Um, uh, and so I think this, this idolatry of marriage is so pervasive in, in big ways, in small ways, overtly, kind of undercover. <clears throat> but I think it has real impact um, in the church, more broadly, particularly in the Western church, I think some of what happens is I think people who really shouldn't be getting married get married, right, and end up in marriages uh, that end up having serious problems. Um, I think sometimes single people in churches are made to feel like second-class citizens. Like at some point, you will experience the fullness of God, right? Just hang on. Right? They're made to feel second class. It's, it's, it's just patently not true. Um, and sometimes a result is that dating, particularly I think for young folks, dating can start to feel like this all-consuming, frantic thing. This is the time in my life when I have to get married. If I don't get married now, I might be sentenced to a life of singleness, as though that would be terrible, right? Which it absolutely isn't. Um, God is good in marriage, and in singleness. Amen? 
Amen. So wherever you kind of see that, if you kind of look inside yourself and you feel like, oh yeah, that, I, I do maybe have that. I just want to kind of call that out and say, let's not be that kind of community. Can we be a community, Blue Water, where everybody here, whether married, whether single, is fully embraced in God's goodness in their life? Can we be that kind of community, Blue Water? I think that's a transformational kind of community. I really do, right? It's the kind that says all of us have a relationship with God and all of us have something to offer each other, right? Okay. So that said, um, what are the takeaways then for, um, specifically for, for marriage, for married people? Larissa. Um, first takeaway, this is coming out of our own story, but also what we see in Genesis that we just talked about. First takeaway is pursue God individually. Right? As individuals, we're created for deep relationship. That's what Steve shared. And it's our primary relationship. Our relationship God, with God is primary. And newsflash, that doesn't end when we get married. <laughs> it's not like once you get married and find a spouse, that person replaces God as your primary relationship. God is the primary relationship, always. And that's how we're wired. We're wired to primarily pursue God. So for us, um, for Steve and I, we're thinking, how have we seen this to be true? Or how have we seen the gift of um, primarily pursuing God as individuals and how that plays out in a relationship? Um, first of all, we have worked really hard on our own deeper issues. We've worked hard on our own deeper issues. And before even meeting each other, um, Steve and I, uh, I think because of the grace of God, um, we had already recognized ways that we were broken, ways that we needed God's healing and restoration. So both of us um, had had seasons of doing counseling, of getting inner healing prayer, um, of really pressing into community and the gift of accountability um, with friends. Um, and I mean, one example is, so Steve, this is before we are, I think while we are dating, but before we are married, um, he was sharing with a pastor friend, his pastor, um, that, oh, yeah, I'm right now, I'm doing some counseling. It's been really great. And this pastor, she looks at Steve and says, wow, that is the best marriage gift that you can give to your future spouse, counseling, <laughs> which is totally, it's kind of weird, right? He was like, what? Okay. Um, but then we realized that's actually very true. Um, his own pursuit of his healing, his restoration, getting emotionally healthy, it was a huge gift to our marriage. And we've seen that for both of us. Um, so really practically, wherever you're at in relationships, in marriage, unmarried, um, we encourage people to get counseling. We encourage people to go get sozo prayer, right? Um, Blue Water, I think, is an incredible place with tons of resources for pressing into our own junk. Um, I think now is the time. And now is the time because you're going to benefit from it, right? It's going to be a gift to you to become emotionally healthy. Um, it's also going to be a gift to every single person in your life that you interact with. And if you do mar get married or are married, it's going to be the best gift that you can give to that person. Um, so we've pursued healing. We've also, also both intentionally made our own space to keep pursuing God, to keep receiving from God. Um, we have been very intentional about uh, creating space in our own lives for prayer, for rest, 
um, for good rhythms, right? Good rhythms with God. Um, one example is Steve, a few months ago, took a three-day prayer retreat. Um, and, you know, on some level, as a married couple with three little kids, that is actually something of a challenge, right? It's just a challenge, a practical challenge to make that happen, for Steve to go off for three days. So what do I do? I step in, I help it. Um, Which is awesome, by the way. Thanks. Oh, <laughs> that reminds me. I have to schedule a prayer retreat. You do. I need I took one. mine, and now I need to make one happen for you. All right. Uh, can we, can we do that now, actually? We've talked about that. You want to do it right now? Yeah. Okay. Can Hold we on, guys. We're going to just... If we don't we do it now, it's not going to happen. This, this has got to happen. Uh, okay, this summer. Wait. So I get back from Indonesia July 13th. Okay. I'll need a few days. Uh, how about the next Monday? Monday. Is that better than the Tuesday, weekend? Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah, it's better. Because the, the kids, kids have school. And st- okay. have, they have school. So 18, 19, 20? Okay. Right? Okay. You can take the kids? Yep. Okay. Done. Great. Okay. All right. Sorry. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you for, okay. thank you for letting us do that. <laughs> Right? We practically help each other make space for God, and we partner in that. That's a way we partner together. Um, So we pursue God individually, um, and we also pursue God together. For us, maybe you've heard us say this if you've been around our family for any length of time, our family motto is hear God and obey him. That our whole lives, every decision that we make is based on that motto. Um, that's really why we're here <laughs> in Honolulu, where we, God spoke to us to move from L.A. to Oahu, and we moved here. Um, and that is how we make decisions together. So at, in whatever seasons that we've had where we don't know what the next step is, um, or we need to make a certain decision, whether it's a small decision or big decision, Um, There are just practical ways we carve out space to pray together, to listen to God. God, what is it? What is it going to mean for us to be faithful to your voice in our lives? Um, How can we do that? What is the next thing? And so that is just one really practical way that we pursue God together as a married couple. Um, So first, pursue God individually. Second, um, partner together in ministry. That's another takeaway from marriage for us. Partner together in ministry. Um, Find ways to do ministry together. Help each other, help the other person um, explore what their spiritual gifts are and how to um, respond to God's calling in each other's lives. Help each other do that. Um, For Steve and I, we've had moments of uh, literally doing ministry together. You're seeing it right now, right? We prepped a sermon. We are speaking together. We've led overseas missions teams together. Um, for about 11 years, we were both uh, partners in InterVarsity, co-leading a ministry at USC. So for some parts of our lives, we are doing ministry together. Um, there are other ways, though, that uh, partnership has meant us doing different things, right? We are different people with different gifts, different passions, a different form of calling from God. Um, So in other ways, our partnership actually looks like supporting the other person and really helping do whatever it takes for them to um, move in whatever direction God is taking them in ministry. So one example for me um, was a few years ago, I sensed that God was calling me to launch uh, a spiritual direction practice. Um, to get trained as a spiritual director, to get more equipped, and to have that be a pretty primary uh, ministry. And that was new at the time. So 
at that point, we were both doing InterVarsity college ministry. Um, but I really sensed that, okay, I think God is leading me down this new path. And so um, as I explored, like, what would that really look like practically, um, it meant doing classes. It meant doing training. Part of the program that I was looking into um, meant that I would be flying to Colorado and doing, like, a week-long intensive in Colorado. Um, and at that point, we had our two kids and a third one on the way. And I came to Steve, and I was like, hey, for me to do this program, one, I'm going to be doing coursework a lot. It's going to take up some of my time. It's gonna, I'm going to have to remove certain commitments to make space for that. Um, two, I'm going to have to go to Colorado for a week. Can we make that work? And his answer to me was, absolutely. Let's figure it out. What did we do? We got out our calendars. We made it work. He stepped up to take care of our kids and solo parent for a week while I was gone, which for parents, that is no small feat, right? Um, but that is one way that I've experienced God partnering with me and not just seeing, like, my thing as mine. Um, he's seen my thing as ours, right? There's kind of a shared sense of partnership and support in that. I don't know if the kids got the best parenting that week, but I stepped in and tried. They ate a lot of pizza that week. <laughs> uh, thank you, Frozen. The movie Frozen got me through that week, I'm pretty sure. <clears throat> um, so uh, pursuing God individually is, the key, is one key to a strong marriage. Um, partnering together in ministry is a key to a strong marriage. Um, here's the, the third thing I'm going to talk about is what I think— and I don't know if you would agree with this, maybe not, I don't know. But what I think is sort of the strongest piece, or kind of the most important piece of a strong marriage, um, and that's this, be friends, friendship. Uh, which sounds a little bit cheesy and corny, like something you'd see on Sesame Street, right? Like, oh, friendship. Um, I think <clears throat> this is maybe the most important thing, as we were reflecting on 10 years of marriage, the most important thing in our marriage um, we don't only love each other, we really like each other. I like you. I like you too. Okay. Um, we like watching stupid TV shows together. We like being goofy together. We like going out and finding new things that we're going to try something together and maybe it's going to be totally dumb and lame and we'll laugh at it or it'll be super fun and we'll laugh with it, right? Like either way, we're going to go have fun together. Um, there's something about friendship that um, I think makes the thing strong. <clears throat> and so I was thinking, like, as we were preparing this, I'm like, got to say something about friendship. How, like, how do you have, how do you, how do you become friends with somebody? And I sat there, I literally sat for like a while, and I'm like, I got my head in my, my, in my hands, I'm like, Laris, I have no idea. Like, how do you, how, do, how does friendship happen? It feels so intuitive. It feels really like, it just kind of happens. Like, you just sort of are friends with some people and not with others. And so I had—do you guys know what I mean? Like, friendship is sort of weird like that. Um, but as I was thinking about it, I realized there are some deeper things in our marriage that I think contribute to friendship. Um, so I'm going to take a stab at it. I might be totally wrong. And so, you know, if I'm wrong, just come out later and be like, Steve, I think you're wrong. That's fine. Um, but I want to take a stab at what I think contributes to friendship. Um, not just in marriage, but I think included in marriage. Um, I think something key is what we reflect back to each other. 
what we reflect back to each other. Here's what I mean. In any relationship you have, marriage, friendship, someone you just meet for the first time, we act as mirrors to each other. We act as a mirror to the other person. How I treat you, how I interact with you, is me setting up a mirror in front of you and communicating something. If you're talking to me and I'm listening to you and taking an actual interest in what you're saying, right, I'm mirroring back to you, you are beloved. You're worth something. You're valuable by the sheer fact that I'm, I'm treating you with honor, right? Um, or, or as you're talking to me and I'm in, enjoying it, right, you're experiencing my joy in you and I'm reflecting back to you, belovedness. I like being with you. Right? And what's coming back to them is, I'm someone who is liked. Right? I'm someone who is valuable. There's something deep, I think, about reflecting back belovedness um, that under, kind of like, it forms the foundation for friendship. Uh, we like being around people who make us feel loved. Right? We like being around people that when we're around them, we feel better. We feel happy. We feel joyful. Um, and the reason for it is because those things are how we were created. We actually are beloved of God. And when that's getting reflected back to us, we're living more in the reality of who we are. We as people have the ability to reflect back belovedness to other people, and in doing so, help them fully live in that. And I think as that happens in a relationship, um, like there's a magneticness that begins to happen. I like being around you. You like being around me. Part of it's share interest, but part of it is I feel my belovedness when I'm around you. You feel your belovedness when you're around me, right? It's powerful. The opposite is also true. We can reflect back belovedness to people. We also can reflect back other things. Um, the second that we begin treating somebody with any kind of contempt or we withdraw or we do things like roll our eyes, right, or cut somebody off, the second we do any of those things, we're also reflecting back something else to that person. What we're reflecting back to them is you're not valuable. What's valuable is what I have to think and what I have to say. Your thing, not valuable. That's why I just rolled my eyes at it. <clears throat> Your thing, I don't really care what you have to say, so as you're talking, I'm texting on my phone. I'm reflecting back to you, you're not valuable or the person's talking, and before they're able to be done, you're talking in and kind of jumping in with your, your idea, right? The thing that you're saying, I don't really care about that because I, I'm not, it's not valuable to me, this thought. Like, I got it, I got it, I got it. I see what you're saying. That's fine, I get it. Here's what's real, right? Not valuable. Do you guys feel that? And when we do that, when we reflect back not valuable, we're reflecting back a lie. We're reflecting back to some, we're reflecting back to that person something that is patently not true about who they are, right? We're making their soul confused. On one hand, the reality is God loves me, and yet what I'm getting right now from this other person is I'm not valuable, right? It twists us up, right? That will mess up any relationship you have, right? Um, it will destroy marriages. In fact, um, there was a study done uh, not too long ago that said that contempt, a lot of these things I'm talking about, contempt in a marriage is the number one predictor of divorce. 
the, um, the researchers were able to look at a couple for 30 minutes, interact with each other, and they were able to predict with 93% accuracy who would be divorced in the next three years. It's powerful, right? So whatever you do, right, be people who reflect back belovedness. Can we do that? Can we do that in our marriages, in our friendships, in our relationships? Can we do that? Can we be people who reflect belovedness to each other? All right. So quick don'ts and do's. Here are friendship killers. Don't. Don't ever. Like, this is like, so don't, don't ever do this unless you want your friends to be spiritually wounded, right? Don't ever roll your eyes at somebody. Ever. Right? That's saying what you're, what you're saying right now is stupid, right? Don't roll eyes. Don't cut someone off while they're talking. You're saying that, hey, your thought, your thought, your complete thought actually doesn't have value anymore to me, right? Don't do it. Don't cut someone off. Let them share the thing. Or if you do cut someone off, like, oh, sorry, I just cut you off. Can you finish that? Um, don't ever dismiss ideas as wrong or dumb. Larissa said, we have conversations sometimes where we disagree, right? And I think something's one way. Larissa thinks it should be a different way. Um, and thought number one in my mind is, is I don't agree with that, her opinion on this right? And my second thought, this is always my second thought, and I think this has just been conditioned over time. My second thought is, but the fact that Larissa is thinking it or feeling it makes it by definition important. It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong or valid or invalid, any of that. The fact that Larissa is thinking it or feeling it that on its own makes it important because she's beloved. And so I want to listen to it. I want to hear it. I want to have a conversation about it. Does that make sense? Um, <clears throat> uh, do. Some do's. Do find things and do things that you both enjoy. Shared experience, right? Shared experiences are powerful. Um, become a really great listener. Uh, listening. Uh, sometimes people say that love, the best way to, to love someone is to shut up and listen. Um, I agree. Um, and finally, apologize for things quickly and often, even if you're only partly to blame. Maybe you're not to blame at all, but you can own that something that you did made someone hurt. Hey, that wasn't my intention. I'm totally sorry. Will you forgive me? Man, that's powerful. Okay. Um, the best marriages are built on the best friendships. So for those of us in the room that are married, work to have a really great friendship at the center of your marriage. Do what you need to do right? For those of us who aren't married, right, become the best kind of friend you can be to the people in your life, right? Actually, that's for everybody, right? Let's be the best friends we can be. Um, we're going to, uh, I'm going to invite up the worship team, Rolo and the team. We're going to uh, create a little bit of uh, space just to, just to respond uh, to God. God, in his graciousness to us, has given us the gift of relationships, uh, both marriage and just the relationships in this room. Um, the main way that God has given us each other really is the body of Christ, right? It really is each other. Um, so as you look to your right and to your left, if you can do it. If you, you don't have to do it, it might be kind of awkward. Like, but you can know that that person and this person, they are gifts from God to you. Here's how I want to respond this morning. I think there's a few ways that, um, that we can respond. Um, first, I think that there's some, uh, I think there's some people in here. So we're going to do a song. If any of these are, are true for you, we're going to create time where you can stand and, uh, and get some prayer. Um, but first, I think there's some in this room that are married. And as we were sharing about the three different categories, 
the category of growing individually with God, becoming good partners in ministry, and being friends, where you feel like, yeah, I would like to grow in one of those. Like, my marriage would do well if I personally took some initiative to grow in one of those areas. Um, if that's you, and sort of before Blue Water, and before the Lord, and perhaps even before your spouse, you want to say, like, yeah, I want— it might be any of those three, but like I want to take a, a concrete step in one of those areas. In just a minute, I'm going to give you a chance just to stand up and kind of acknowledge that, and I want to pray for you. Um, we need great, strong marriages in our church. Uh, second, I think there's someone here, as we talk about relationships, we talk about um, romance, even marriage, the thought of marriage, um, where you were resonating most was with that idea of loneliness, right? It is not good that people should be alone, the author of Genesis says, God says. Um, and you, f you feel that. You feel like, yeah, I feel alone, and I feel that it's not good. Um, I think the Lord wants to meet you today in the exact same way that he met Adam, that he met the person um, at the very beginning. God loves to meet us in the place of loneliness um, and if that's you, I want to invite you to stand in just a minute so that we can pray for you. It's super vulnerable, right? It's like the deepest kind of place of hurt. Um, and I think the Lord wants to meet us in that. Um, yeah, so those, are, those will be the two, the two areas. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's actually stay seated. Um, we will uh, sing a song, and then we'll come back up and create some space to, to respond.